Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. privileged to be kicking off uh, this series of parables. But before I do, I wanted to pick up on something that Mark had shared last week. So he was talking about the story of a guy called Naaman, which isn't always, isn't like a particularly popular or well-known story, but it's a very good one. But it has nothing to do with the really great biblical points he brought out. Because Mark talked about the fact that him and Dina, his wife, are really organized. They're the sort of people that when they're going on holiday, they get themselves like completely ready and they've got their itinerary and they've, they've read all the reviews and all that sort of thing. And um, I'm a bit like that. I, I like to know what I'm going to. I like to know what's happening. I'm a slight bit of control freak. In fact, me and Dan and our friends Ed and Timmy are going away next week for a week and Ed's organised it all and I'm panicking <laughs> because I don't know what's happening. And so I keep texting Ed and going, so what time's the flight? What, what's happening here? And I think he's probably getting annoyed at me. But I'm like that now because of a mistake I once made. So I thought I'd share my mistake with you just so you know we're all human. So um, when I was 17, I was uh, 18, I was doing a gap year with two friends of mine at the church that I was at at the time. And we decided we were allowed time off. Shocking, right? But we were allowed to have a holiday. And we decided that the three of us would go on a holiday together. So they said, Elena, you're the most organized of the three of us. Why don't you arrange it? And I said, yeah, no problem. What do you want to do? They went, as long as it's warm, we don't care. No problem. So there's me, jumps on the internet on Skyscanner and Lollipop.com and Holiday on the Beach or whatever they're all called, all these websites. I'm finding all these deals and I found this stonking deal. I mean, it was cracking. I mean, it's out of season, so we were expecting to get a fairly good deal. And it was for uh, Mallorca and we were like, let's, let's go, let's do it. It was like 300 quid per person, all inclusive. I tell it, and, and that included our flights. Nobody's as excited as I am. That is a good deal, people. And so we, we headed and uh, super excited. They're, they were both 17, I was 18. So I'm like mum of the group. And I'm like, come on, guys, I've got my folder with everything in it. It's going to be fine. Dad's taught me well. We get to the hotel. Everything's really, really quiet. We're like, well, it is out of season, so loads of stuff was shut down. We went into the hotel, and there was barely anyone around. And we were like... This is a little bit strange, a little bit odd, but it's fine. It'll be okay. And uh, we went then to go and have a meal. And we both, all three of us were sat there and we just kind of looking around and going, is it just us or are we the youngest here by about 50 years? (laughs) And uh, we looked around and I thought, well, on our way out, I'll just ask at reception. I said, hi. Uh, We just noticed there's no other young people here. And they went, no, this is an OAP hotel. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, they were up till like three o'clock in the morning singing karaoke. Me and my friends are in bed going, will they just shut the racket up? Couldn't believe it. So now, now... I researched everything because I didn't want to get stuck in the hotel. I mean, they were lovely. They were really nice to us. In fact, we got treated like granddaughters. We were just spoilt. Um, But my friends weren't very impressed with me. So I've not been allowed to organise a holiday again. I know. For them. 
I organise my own family holidays. So anyway, parables. What is a parable? We're doing a series on parables at the minute. And um, parables are basically stories. They are stories that have a meaning. They are stories that when we tell them, they actually have more than just a nice fluffy fairy tale ending. A story that can change your life. You see, when a story is told well, it can totally change your view of something. It can change your life. And we love stories. And you know how I know we love stories? Because Disney Pixar is a billion pound industry based on its ability to tell stories. I'm not talking about Disneyland. I'm talking about the franchise, Disney Pixar, which is the films. Billion dollar industry, purely on storytelling. Really good storytelling. I like Disney Pixar. Oh, and if a story is told well, it captivates its audience. Anyone seen the Encanto? I love Encanto. It's a great Disney film. I recommend it to everybody. It's fabulous. But Jesus was the ultimate storyteller. He was the best storyteller. He is the best storyteller. And Jesus used parables to explain to the people around him a point he was trying to get across. And he used examples from the culture of the day. So when we read some of these parables and they're talking about farmers and they're talking about seeds and they're talking about putting lamps under beds and all this sort of thing. And we're going, what does that even, like that, that doesn't kind of relate to us. It's because he's using the culture of his day to tell a story that people go, that really means a lot to us. So there's no social media stories because there wasn't social media. There's no stories about driving your car because there weren't cars. But having said that, the stories Jesus told, even though culturally relevant for the day, still have truths for us to learn from today. And so Jesus doesn't just go, this does for now. These are stories that we can look at and use forever. It just means we have to do a little bit of digging and go, what does that mean? So today, I'm going to be talking to you about the story of the lost boys, or more commonly known, the prodigal son. So I've entitled it The Lost Boys for a very specific reason, not just because I'm a massive Disney Pixar fan and Disney did Peter Pan and The Lost Boys, but because I truly believe that both boys in the story have a significant story to tell out of it. So Luke 15 is where you find this story, and I'm going to read it all to you. Um, and if you want to read along with me, you can. So even in my Bible, it's called The Parable of the Lost Son, but I've added an S on the end. Jesus continued, I'm adding to the Bible, I know, I'm very sorry. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, he became angry. He was sorry, he was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So if you've been in church for a little while, you'll have heard this story told in so many different ways, I'm sure. But it's often focused, the focus is often on the younger boy. It's often on the boy that went away and came back, the prodigal son. And we love this story because it's a story of repentance. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of wholeness. And it's a story of the goodness of God. So essentially, this is the way that God treats us. If we walk away and we come back, God is there waiting with his arms open. But I want to focus on the older son. Because what I realized was that these parables are made up by Jesus And Jesus chose to include the older son. Therefore, the older son has something significant to say to us. And so if Jesus included him, I want to give him the right platform, I guess, the right chance to say what is needed to say. So in this story, both boys made a choice. One chose selfishness and one chose faithfulness. The younger boy went off and did his own thing. The younger boy went off, and actually the Bible tells us that he went off and, and, and lived wild. He, he went and spent his money on wild living, and yet the assumption from the older brother was assumed that he'd spent his money on prostitutes. And how many times have you heard the story where people will say, the younger boy went off and spent his money on prostitutes, and the Bible doesn't actually tell us that that's what he did, but it's because of the response of the older brother. But when the younger boy came back, both of the sons had different responses. One had a response of selfishness. Uh, That's not right at all. One had a response of repentance, and one had a a response of self-righteousness. See, the younger boy came back, and he repented to his father. He was sorry for what he had done, and the older brother responded with self-righteousness instead. He was kind of 
annoyed and angry. He actually tells us he was angry about what was going on. He was angry that there was, he was being celebrated. See, the younger brother had to come back with repentance because if he had just wandered back, he, he must have been in a real state to have to come back. The fact that he was being treated as less than than the pigs, which in Hebrew culture, pigs were the lowest of the low. They were dirty, dirty animals, and good Israelites, good people of Israel would not have had pigs. And yet he was treated lower than a pig, and he must have gone, well, it's got this bad, I've got to go back. And so he went back to his dad, and here's the thing, going back could have cost him his life. Walking back into the place after he had disowned his own family could have cost him his life. And if his father had stood back, the younger son could have been stoned to death. But instead, the father ran to him, put his arms around him and saved him from the wrath of the community. He protected him from what was going on and the younger son came back with repentance. The only act worthy of that response. An act of repentance, I am sorry for what I've done. But the older brother was self-righteous. He was annoyed. He was like, I have been here the whole time. I've always done what's right. And here you are celebrating him whilst I've been here the whole time. And if you've ever heard this sermon preached where they have talked about the older brother, I expect, because this has been my experience, the older brother has been talked down about. Well, he was a bit annoyed. He was angry. How dare he? Like, why didn't he open his arms and bring him back in and say, aren't you wonderful? And I'm here to say, I totally understand his response. Some of you might be going, oh, Elena, but as good Christians, we're meant to be like arms open and we love you. And actually, yes, yes, I agree with that. But someone who was part of your family, has gone away, done all this stuff that they shouldn't have done, and come back and everybody's celebrating them, and you're just expected to go, whoopee. Instead of, and actually, the older brother, his response was human. His, his response was one of, wait a minute, what about me? One brother was selfish when he went, one brother was selfish when he came back. But here's something that I, I just wanted to bring out. The older brother's initial response was a tipping point moment. See, we're all human and we all have initial responses to things that go on in our lives. I, I don't know very many people that are so incredibly gracious that whenever something ever goes on, they just go, it's all right, the Lord is in control. Because my first response when something annoying happened, so we were in a car park the other day, and we watched as a bump happened between a little red Toyota and a lovely white Audi. And we saw this bump happen, and the woman in the Audi was infuriated. She was so angry. And Dan was like, but that's what insurance is for, Mr. Laidback over here. And I was like, yeah, I get that, Dan, but look at like, look what's just happened. I would be, I'd be like, flipping it, what have you done to my car? I can't believe you've done this. And so her in, like the initial response for a lot of things that go wrong is one of frustration or is one of crying out or is one of, oh, I can't believe this has happened. And that's okay. So many of us feel guilty because our initial response is sometimes one of, oh my goodness, instead of, oh, it's all right, I lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. We are human. We have human responses to things. Even Jesus had a human response in which he said, please let this cup pass from my lips. His response was, I don't want to experience pain, but here's the tipping point. 
you either go, I don't want this to happen, so I'm going to slip the other way and, start, and, and be angry and annoyed and frustrated and selfish, or I go, but God. But his goodness. And we don't actually get to find out how the, brother, how the older brother tipped. We don't know whether he became angry and annoyed and sulked in his bedroom, or whether he went, you know what, I'm glad my brother's back. I'll deal with my emotion. It's a human response to have an immediate, oh, but what's the tipping point? Are we going to live in a human response or are we going to live in a God response? And when we choose to live out of God's response for his people and for us, I think that's what God is looking for. I don't think God is going, whoa, your first response was to get cross. So that's it. I'm I'm wiping you out. That's it. I'm crossing you off my list. No, I think God goes, okay, you feel angry about this. That's all right. Anger is an emotion God created. How are you now going to respond from that? Are you going to stay in anger or are you going to go, right, Lord, I'm annoyed about this. You know I'm annoyed about this. Now, how do I go forward? And I I just think the older brother's given a really hard time for his initial response, when actually, if 95% of us, some of you are are just super, super close to Jesus, and your response would be one of beauty, but 95% of us still have way too much humanness going on, and our first response may be one of a human response. And I think Jesus is, God is looking for that. Now what? Okay, initial response, now what? So I understand why the older brother responded the way he does. I am an emotional person, just in case none of you have ever realized this. And my first response to anything is usually one out of emotion. The way I deal with anything is emotion first. And then the logic starts to kick in eventually. That's why I married Dan. He is my logic. I am, I am his emotion, though, so it's a good match. It works. But the response that I love the most is the father's response to both the boys. The father's response is beautiful to both of these boys. He responded to his youngest son by wrapping his arms around him, shouting for celebration, protecting him from any outcry that could have happened, and loving on him. Bringing a party in. How many people can stay angry during a party? A few, but not many. And so he protects, he wraps his arms around his son. But the response to his oldest son, I think, is equally as beautiful. And here's why. He says to him, you are always with me. In fact, you have been faithful. You have always been here. And everything I have is yours. He's not saying to the oldest son, hey, you'll get your half at some point, or just get over it, it's fine, or why can't you just accept him? Why can't you just be happy? He goes, everything I have is yours. Your faithfulness has ensured that. Everything we have here belongs to you. And I I never noticed that line really before, because we always focus on the younger son, we focus on the return of the prodigal, we focus on this incredible story, and absolutely, that story has a a right place in our speaking, in our communication, in the way that we look at this story, but 
the response to the older son, the response to him of everything I have is yours. Why? Because of your faithfulness. See, God celebrates lives being transformed. The the younger son, his life went from dirt, from pigs, to being celebrated, to being loved. God celebrates lives being transformed, and absolutely, we should celebrate lives being transformed. But he, he actually wants and desires and requires and asks for faithfulness. And sometimes... I think we're really, really good at celebrating the big transformation, dramatic stories. Went from death to life, went from drug addict to clean, went from alcoholic to sober, went from this to that. We, we love these stories. In fact, I grew up in a church where we shared these stories. We'd get these guys up on stage and we'd be like, tell us your story. And, and they'd start, well, I was a robbing banks at the age of 10 and I was, I was doing this by the age of 12 and at the age of 18 I was in prison and, and, and everyone sat there going, oh my goodness, whoa, that's crazy. And then God... And everybody's applauding. That's amazing, incredible. And I remember at the age of like 16, 17, sitting there and going, that is incredible, but what story have I got? What, what is my story? I, I haven't done anything crazy. I haven't had any dramatic life-turning around moment. I haven't had a moment where Jesus appeared to me and went, you need to change your ways. I've just had this like normal life. And actually, it was at this church, I was talking to a parent here, and I was talking a little bit about this, and the parent turned to me and went, I want my children to have your story. I went, what? I want my children to have a story of faithfulness to God. And it clicked. Yes, we celebrate the transformative, incredible stories from rags to riches. Absolutely. But why can't we get good at celebrating faithfulness? Those people that have just been, I say just, have just been faithful, have just gone, I, of course, I love my Jesus. Nothing crazy has happened to me. I've never walked away from God. My, sto- my, my personal story is one of, I became a Christian at the age of four years old and committed to that for, until now at 29. And, and there's never really been anything particularly crazy in the middle in terms of my faith journey. I've never gone, well, that's it, I'm done. I, I've, I've never, I, I don't mean this to sound like I, I'm, I'm bragging on myself, but I've never been drunk. I, it's just not something I did. I'd never went to nightclubs and partied. It wasn't something I did. My story is just plain. It's simple. But yet, we're really good at celebrating the big dramatic stories. And I know wonderful people that have these big, life-transforming stories. And I'm so grateful, so grateful for the transforming power of Jesus in their lives. And I look at someone like my nana, who is 86 and has been faithful to God her whole life. And I go, wow, that's worth celebrating. That's worth us sharing. Why, Why is it only the dramatic transformations that are shared? What about the faithfulness. What about those everyday decisions that aren't easy, things that people have had to walk away from, decisions people have had to make in order to stay faithful to God? Let's celebrate those. And maybe you're sat here going, but I have one of those transformation stories. Great. And I am so glad. 
Isn't it good that God is in the business of transforming lives? And you're sat there going, I've been a Christian for 55 years, and uh, this is my life. I'm so glad. Because God applauds. He requires, he needs those of us that have been faithful from day one to be able to walk alongside those that have got the transformation stories. Because how do you disciple, how do you help somebody if we're all in the same boat and going, we've all been transformed at the same time and none of us quite know what we're doing. We need the faithful to walk alongside the transformed. Faithfulness is often celebrated at the end of something. You get to the end of someone's life. Maybe, you know, Gwen turns 100 next month and we're celebrating her 100 years. Wow. We get to the end of someone's marriage or a particularly uh, big milestone and we get to 60, 50, 60 years and we go, whoa, that's amazing. You guys have been faithful to each other for that long. The Queen, we've just celebrated a whole weekend last weekend for 70 years of service to this country and faithfulness. And you go, fantastic, she deserves a whole four weekend. Four weekend, four day weekend. People are cardboard cutouts of her and everything. And and sometimes we wait until the end to celebrate somebody's faithfulness. We wait until they've hit a particular milestone. A hundred years old, that's a good milestone to hit. Hey, what about someone that's been faithful for a year? What about someone that is a child and is continuing to be faithful in their journey, even though at school they've been pulled every which way to join in with the garbage that goes on? What about the teenager that is fighting the cultural norm that they're part of and they've chosen to be faithful to their Jesus? That is worth celebrating. And let's not wait until somebody is a a ruby celebration, a golden celebration, platinum celebration, until we go, that's worth celebrating. Let's celebrate faithfulness, everyday decisions, because faithfulness, although it might look normal and boring, faithfulness is hard. It it requires a level of dedication to what you love. Jesus has called us to be countercultural against some of the normal things that go on, and it requires us to make decisions where we go, oh, that might mean that I don't, like, get to do some of the stuff that everybody else is doing, or it might mean that my life looks different, or it means that my finances are set up in a certain way. I remember when we went to apply for a mortgage and the woman said, right, you give this certain amount of money every month to a charity. That's optional, isn't it? And we both looked at each other and went, no. And she went, well, what is it? And we went, it's our tithes and offerings. It's our, it's our monthly giving to our church. She went, so it's optional? No. She went, if you say it's optional, we can give you a bigger mortgage. No, it's not optional. We have chosen that our part of our faithfulness is in our giving. And so therefore, in when we're asked questions, when we could get a bigger mortgage, which would have meant we could have got a bigger house, which maybe meant we could have lived in a slightly different area, we chose, no, we'd be faithful in this. And we ended up with the best house ever. We're really happy with our little house up Cottage Beck Road. It's wonderful. Just told you where I live. It's fine. Most of you know where we live anyway. I'll just tell you what colour the door is. You can all come and have a knock on. Um, but let's encourage and celebrate faithfulness. You see, some of you might 
wide eyes when I say this, but faithfulness in our culture isn't sexy. It's not something that is like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we all want a bit of faithfulness. Because you look at TV programs. You look at the way that people talk. You look at even uh, social media, or you look at certain, like, so Love Island's back on the telly. I don't watch it because I personally think it's garbage. But if you watch it, that's fine. That's your choice. But a lot of what is, is being bought out of those things is, well, who's going to cheat on whom? Who's going to be unfaithful? Who's going to behave in such a way that brings in good TV ratings? Because nobody is that bothered by somebody who is just faithful. One of the things that annoys me the most, even in fictional programs, and Dan will tell you this, is when there's a couple and they're like together and they've been, they're married or they've been together for a really long time. And then his childhood sweetheart turns up. And he goes off with her. And I get so angry. I'm not allowed to watch them anymore. Because Dan's like, I can't cope. Because I literally sit there going, but they And Dan's going, right, this isn't good for your brain. So we're going to stop watching it. Because faithfulness doesn't, isn't exciting. It doesn't bring good TV ratings. But yet... When somebody's been married 50 years, we're suddenly going, oh, that's fantastic. How did they get there? Faithfulness. When somebody's been a follower of Jesus for 35, well, five years, let's go five years. How did they get there? Faithfulness. How do we get anywhere consistently? Faithfulness. People on weight loss journeys, how did they get there? Faithfulness to that journey. Because they can't be sitting, cheating with a takeaway every night. They'll not get where they want to go. Faithfulness, everyday decisions. I was talking to someone this week, and they said, oh, you know, nothing crazy has ever happened to me. I've just made, as I have made personally, and as a family, we've just made good, faithful decisions. Every day. With our finances. With how we treat people. Faithfulness. And it's, it's something that is desired by God. Our faithfulness to him more than anything. Our faithfulness to the call he has put on our lives. And you see, when we are faithful to God, God's promise to us is this, everything I have is yours. And that might not look the way we want it to look here on this earth, but God's faithfulness to us it isn't kept to here isn't kept to this life. God's faithfulness to us is eternal. And all he's asking is for our faithfulness now. There's a huge emphasis on faithfulness in the Bible. I tried to count. I don't know how people do this. You know when they go, um, the word love has been said this many times in the Bible. I'm going, did they sit there and count it? So I'm sat in the back, I'm going, right, faithfulness. I am going to be sat here for three weeks trying to find how many are in here. So I decided to give up on it. I googled it. It said something like a hundred times in the Bible, right? So I don't know who has sat and counted the amount of faithfulnesses in the Bible. But faithfulness is a really, really important part of a lot of what God talks about. It's a really important part of the things that God asks of people. You know the stories where everything goes to pot? It's because of a lack of faithfulness. You know, when, when David commits adultery with Bathsheba, it was because of a lack of faithfulness to the call that God had on his life. God had asked him to lead the people 
And instead of going to war, which is what a king should have done, he stayed at home and got himself into trouble. When we see the stories of, you know, even like Moses got himself into trouble, it's because he let his faithfulness to God slip from his eyes and just did what he felt like was important. Here, we all make mistakes. We all have that initial human response. We all have moments where we go, oops, hold on a minute. Uh, maybe need to backtrack on that or I need to apologize for that. And that's okay. We are human. We all make mistakes. I hope we all make mistakes. Otherwise, I'm going to feel really silly as the only person in the room making mistakes. But what God is asking for is a resolution to faithfulness. He's not saying you have to be perfect because we're not. He's not asking us to get everything right. What he is asking of us is that in every moment that we would go, okay, my initial response to this was, but now I choose faithfulness. My response to this was anger at the fact that my brother's being celebrated, but my hope, if the story was continued, that his response would be one out of faithfulness. His response would be one out of, okay, and yeah, we need to challenge our hearts on how we respond to other people. We need to challenge our hearts on how we view other people's behavior. Because we might go, oh, I wouldn't ever do that. That's fine. But our faithfulness isn't about making other people feeling bad, maybe for their lack of faithfulness. Or maybe for the fact that they have only just come to know Jesus for themselves. Or maybe the fact that they have walked in for the first time going, my story is one of transformation. And let us as people that declare that we are people of faith, people that love Jesus, how are we walking alongside those people? How are we working that through with them? So what does faithfulness look like to you? What is faithfulness in your life? Maybe you do need to look at your finances and go, I need to reassess how we are faithful in this area. How are you faithful in the way that you raise your children or interact with your grandchildren? How are you faithful in the way that you serve your community? Whether that's your church community, whether that is your local community that you live in. How is your faithfulness being worked out? And in those moments where the human response takes over and you find yourself shouting at someone, or you find yourself losing your temper, or you find yourself getting into all sorts of silliness, stop and go, which way am I going to go? Am I going to keep going with the human nature, or am I going to give myself back to God and say, I choose faithfulness? See, I think that there's a couple of things that out of this story God wants, and I'm going to start wrapping up in a minute, because we've got communion today, and that's super important. But there's a couple of things that I think that God is wanting, well, has been speaking to me about. And if he speaks to you on it as well, then that's great. The first thing is this. Where's our forgiveness for others? You might have been hurt. You might have watch someone who you have journeyed a faith life with walk away from God or 
you may have been praying for someone for a long time to come back to Jesus. Where's our forgiveness when they do turn up? I was challenged on this. My, my brother, it doesn't follow Jesus. My brother walked away from a, a life of faith. That was his choice and that's fine. That's his decision. And as a family, we pray for him all the time. He knows it too. It annoys him. But we're going to keep telling him. And uh, I was challenged by a lady in my small group. And she was talking about the fact that, because I would kind of said, oh, what's the point? You know, he's, he's never, he probably will never come back. And she said, at one point, she was away from church and faith. And people were praying for her and she didn't know. But what she did know was that there was these small nudges every day. All the time, these little nudges from God that were going, I'm here. I want you. I love you. My arms are open for you. I am waiting for you. And it really challenged me. Don't give up praying for him. And then as I was preparing for this, I was really, really challenged about what my response would be when he would come back. Because there are moments in in my heart of, of annoyance at some of the behaviours. There are moments in my heart of anger about the way he's chosen to live because it's not how we were brought up. And I'm being really honest with you. You can judge me if you want to. That's totally fine. This is, this is how I felt. And I was challenged by God. What happens if he turns up at New Life Church one Sunday morning and goes, I give my life back to God. And we start celebrating him. And I go, but you've not said Sorry. You've not apologised for being a pain in the bum for the last however many years. Where's your repentance? Let me see everything thrown at the altar of God. And that is my human response. And God is saying, where is your forgiveness? Where is your open-armedness? He may never apologise. Where is your forgiveness? Your forgiveness is not determined by somebody else's behaviour. It's all down to you. And in our forgiveness, I believe God, the second thing is God is asking for us to have a stance of open arms. Because you know when we stand like this, you know when we're like, heads down, not looking. Somebody that wants to come running back to Jesus looks for people that look like Jesus. And that's us as followers of him. And we're stood here like this. How do, how do they run back? And God is wanting us to stand open up. Come back to him. He loves them. And he wants us to be him to them. How do we be him to them with our arms crossed across our body? We can't be. We have to have a stance of open arms. So forgiveness, open arms, and lifelong faithfulness. Heads are easily turned. It's, it's easy to feel discouraged when you've been faithful for so long and nobody's ever said, well done, good and faithful servant, you're amazing. Nobody's ever turned to me and said, oh, thanks for serving on the kids team for the last 55 years, you're amazing. If you weren't great where you started, you will be by the time you finished. Our life 
lifelong faithfulness. And that might be lifelong from the minute that God transforms your life, from the minute that you're bought out of the depth. But for some of you, it might be just those decisions every day. You're going, I don't remember that moment where my life changed. Because it's always, I've always just followed Jesus. And that, can I just say, if that's your story, thank you. Thank you for the example. Thank you for showing us what faithfulness looks like. Thank you for continuing to be faithful for the prayers that you pray in the quiet place that only Jesus hears, for the moments where you turn up time and time again, even though your body is tired. Thank you for your faithfulness. Because even when nobody else sees it, he does. He is looking at your faithfulness and going, oh, that just makes me smile. That just warms a father's heart. That just brings joy to him. He wants faithfulness. And so whether your faithfulness starts from a moment of complete overhaul and transformation, I was down in the dirt and now God has transformed me. Now your faithfulness starts. Go. You've got this. We all make mistakes. Don't panic about that. Every day we just try and be a bit better than the day before. Every day we just try and move forward a little bit better. Every day we get alongside someone who has been faithful for 182 years and we go, help me do this. How do I do this? And those of us that have been faithful, those of you that have sat there through sermon after sermon going, I love the fact that you open up an altar for people that are struggling, that have got problems, or, or people that are, need to find Jesus. Absolutely, this is, this is what it's all about. But, but I've never needed that because I've just continued to be faithful. It's a powerful, powerful thing, is faithfulness. And it should be celebrated. Your faithfulness is required, is desired, is wanted. And not just by God. There are people in your world watching your faithfulness and going, I wish I could do that. And then it circles back again. If you are faithful, let your heart stay soft. Don't become bitter when people are celebrated for their transformation. Forgiveness, open arms, faithfulness. Forgiveness, open arms, faithfulness. That is what is being, I feel is what is being asked of me. And I felt that maybe God was saying that's being asked of us all. Is like the older brother chose to stay even when he could have gone, he chose faithfulness. And my hope is that he eventually would have chosen forgiveness and open arms. Because that was the heart of the father. The father who was faithful to his sons. The father who had been faithful where he was had his arms wide open in a stance of forgiveness before a word was uttered. Before anyone said sorry, before anyone had it all worked out, forgiveness, open arms, faithfulness. And so this morning, I'm gonna close because I've gone on too long. 
But our Father, our Heavenly Father, those of you that call yourselves followers of Jesus, He is asking us to have a stance of open arms and a lifelong faithfulness. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Lifelong faithfulness. Stories to tell grandchildren of I, I became a Christian at the age of 10. My whole family was changed because of my faithfulness. My granddad, this is my last story and I'm done. My granddad, my dad's dad, amazing man of faith. He was the first person to become a Christian in his family at the age of 10. He came from a family of alcoholics. He came from a family growing up in Northern Ireland where there was some tensions going on. It wasn't as big when he was younger. And he became a Christian at the age of 10. And my granddad, and I hope you hear what I'm trying to say, he was a very simple man. He didn't want a lot. He didn't need a lot. He just was faithful every day. And his faithfulness meant that when he married a good Christian woman, they together had three children, and those three children became followers of Jesus through their own experience. And one of those children was my dad, who at the age of eight became a follower of Jesus. He then grew older, went to Bible college, met my mum, got married, had three children, of which I am one. His faithfulness is my granddad faithfulness impacts my daughter your faithfulness may feel hard in a moment but it is not just about you your faithfulness impacts generations your faithfulness impacts communities it impacts the people around you and your faithfulness is so needed so the band are gonna lead us we're going to have communion together but let me just leave you with this forgiveness open arms lifelong faithfulness is what God is asking of us today thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire to find out more do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit we'd love to see you